I fully believe that there's no accidents or coincidences or anything like that. And I remember it was Linda a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago, she had said something. It turns a testimony, oh, about the comfort zone that ended up being part of the sermon. So I think today, the way everything flowed tied in as well. Amen. Because the Lord placed on my heart to do a series entitled Healing from Rejection. Amen. Healing from Rejection. And I believe rejection is something that we all encounter. It's something that we experience in our childhood. Something that we experience throughout the years. The teenage scholastic years could be brutal sometimes. It's also something that we encounter in adulthood. So it's always something that rears its ugly head in our lives. But the main issue is how do we handle that rejection. Amen. So we're going to go to the book of Psalms, chapter 139, verses 14 through 18. Amen. And this is not going to be something we can do in one week. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Psalm 139, verses 14 through 18. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we thank you, praise you, Father, for your word. We praise you, Father, for laying this topic come up upon my heart. And right now, Father, we just give you the glory and honor that you would do a work in each one of us, Father. Do a work in our minds. Do a work in our hearts. Do a work in our spirits, Father, that we can be healed from every aspect of rejection. And, Father, it doesn't matter whether it was something done to us intentionally or unintentionally. The reality is that the effects, the consequences, the repercussions of, re- of rejection, Father, can stay with us and linger. They can simmer beneath the surface. They can harm us in various ways, knowing unknowingly over the years. And they can even change our outlook on life as well as the things that we fulfill. So we ask you right now, Father, that if there's anything within us, Father, that is dysfunctional, that is errant, that is off course as a result, result of rejection, that right now you would bring it to our remembrance, Father, not to torment us, not to cause us pain again, but to allow us finally to be totally purged from all of the things that have afflicted us. And we praise and thank you, Father, that with the healing, Father, you would also open up our, the eyes of our understanding to see new fruitfulness, new opportunities, a new peaceful an abundant journey before us. We thank and praise you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I will praise thee. No, we're going to do this together. Let's do this together. Amen. This is something that we need to be saying. It was said and written in the Psalms, but how many of us take the time to say this about ourselves? Amen. So let's do this as a corporate body. We need to read this. Linda says she says it. But do, okay, we got some, well, maybe we don't need to do it. Now we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> Amen. But 
we need to say this, and we need to get this into our heart. And it needs to be more than lip service. I will praise ye, how wonderfully and fearfully made. No, we need to have a little unch, uh, a little energy. You know, Kyle and I were, and Trey and I were going uh, to, to the movies yesterday, and on the way in the car, I was listening to serious praise, and this person was singing a song, and the song was great. And the choir was going behind him in the background. They had energy. But the thing that disturbed me about the song is that the lead singer was singing it, and I didn't feel no energy from it. So it actually brought the song down. So let's read this, and let's read it from the perspective that we truly believe this thing in our gut. Amen? All right, let's read it again. Psalm 139, 14 through 18. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's a little more attitude. You see, that word praise there means to revere or worship with extended hands. Amen? So it's not the kind of praise where it's, thank you, Jesus. Nor is it the kind of praise where, you know, well, we jump up for this song, we sit down for that song. You know, it's not... The kind of praise where you're laying down before the Lord, even though that's good. This is the kind of praise where you're at the NBA Finals, the Spurs, and the Heat down to the final seconds, and who's going to win? Is it going to be my team? And when Miami win, won the game, it's like, yes! Amen. We won the title two years back to back. This is the kind of praise. I will praise thee. Amen. Why? Because I am wonderfully and fearfully made. Amen. And see, that's not an ego trip. That's not, I'm better than all y'all over there and look at me and I'm up here and y'all down there. This is just simply you and God. I'm going to praise you. Wow. Look at the wonders of me. Once again, no pride. But wow. I am wonderfully and fearfully made. See, it doesn't matter what that person says. It doesn't matter what that person does. It doesn't matter about all the other people that tried to trip me up and said I'd never get to the place that I am right now. It's all about me and you, and I praise you, because look what you did. Despite all the mess I've been through. Despite all the pain that I've suffered. Despite all the people that say you would never, ever, ever do this or that, or amount to this or that, or be able to attain this, or get, get that, or grasp this, or all those different negative naysayers and haters, amen? Despite all those things, even though I may be unperfect, Lord, you saw fit to get me here, and I thank you, because I am wonderfully and fearfully made. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Look at that. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Does your soul knoweth it right well? Amen. See, if you don't think you're anything, what is anybody else going to think about you? That's the key thing. That my soul knoweth not just well, I know this right well. (laughs) See, a little extra on that. I know this right well. Because everybody else might say a thousand things about you. Matter of fact, some things may, people may say things about you that are true 
about your shortcomings, your inadequacies, your, your weaknesses. But the reality is we have to live our life according to what God's plan, purpose, and dream and vision is for us. Amen. You can't worry about what everybody else is thinking. Amen. And I'm not saying to give yourself a green light or a free pass if you're acting up. But what I'm saying is in God, we're all on a journey where we're working stuff out. Amen. We got nooks and crannies and bumps and bruises and all kinds of stuff going on. But as long as we're on a journey trying to please him, we could be confident in the fact and we could praise him in who we are right now, knowing that even though I might be a little bit of a mess right now, he's the one that's going to clean me up and he's going to get me where I'm going. Amen? And that my soul knoweth right well. So in other words, you've got to have confidence in the God that you serve. Amen? And even in the midst of the transformation, even in the midst of the metamorphosis from a caterpillar to a butterfly, I can still praise him in the fact that I'm on an ongoing journey and he's cleaning up all the flaws and he's going to make something beautiful out of me at the end. Amen? Hallelujah. That word wonderfully, amen, fearfully and wonderfully made. The word wonderfully means in the Hebrew to set apart, to show marvelous, to put a difference, amen. And as I looked at that word, put a difference, he's basically saying, I'm making you unique. I used to like slave and not slavery, but slave, the, the, the R&B group back in the day, and then st- uh, Steve Arrington branched off, and he had this song called Nobody Could Be You. Nobody can be you but you. And he just talked about all these different attributes and stuff. And I was like, that's right. Nobody could be me but me. I might be crazy. I might be cuckoo. I might be a little eccentric, but nobody could be me but me. I'm unique. Amen? Some might say a little bit too unique. <laughs> Amen? But I am unique. There's only one of me. Matter of fact, I went to, where did I go? Oh, we went to BJ's yesterday, and I, when we were on vacation, so I wouldn't carry a bunch of excess cards, I decided that if it's not a card that I'm going to use in the state of Florida, I'll leave it in my desk, amen? So I took out the different cards, you know, um, Restaurant Depot and Kohl's, and, and then I said, oh, well, I'm not going to go to a BJ's down there, so I took the BJ's card out. So we came back yesterday, and Kyle and I went over there to get some, some water and different things, and once I got there, I was like, ah, Forgot my membership card. Dag on it. And I was like, I don't need to go. I don't want to go back home, so I'll go over and get a temporary pass to get through. So I go over there, and the lady, you know, she's looking through, and she's taking a while. And I'm like, what's going on, you know? And finally she says, you know, I'm sorry, sir, for the delay, but there's a lot of Brian Foxes in the computer. But then she kept looking and kept looking, and she said, well, did you join at this location? I said, yeah, I've been a member since your grand opening. She said, okay. She said, do you live in Voorhees? Yeah. So she had to funnel down through all the Brian Foxes, but she finally arrived at the unique Brian Fox, which was me, and then she was able to give me a card. Amen? See, th- the great thing about God is that he's made us so wonderfully and fearfully that he doesn't have to filter through to get through the uniqueness of who you are. Amen? Wonderfully and fearfully made. Amen. He's got something sealed on you, embedded in you, and and grafted into you that makes you unique. And only you can be you, no matter if you got a twin like Pam or if you got somebody with the same name. You are totally, thoroughly unique. Amen.
There's something distinct about you, in other words. Something that makes you key and crucial to this generation. And see, the devil will try to tell you that, oh, you're worthless, you're inadequate, you're insecure, you, you, you did this wrong, you did that wrong. But if we get our minds retrained to see things from the perspective of God, then we could say, despite all the flaws, I'm still unique and distinct. And if I'm unique and distinct, that means there's something that God needs me to do on this earth, which means I'm a person of value. Amen? Hallelujah. So wonderfully and fearfully made. Hallelujah. We see through this process that God said that he saw our substance. And even though we were unperfect, it says that in the book, all our members were written. Just think about that, all your members. He's talking about your arms, your legs, your fingers, your toes, your appendix, your stomach, your lungs, your hearts, all these different things that you don't even think about all the time, amen? But yet God sees all these things. He has them all written out in a book. In other words, he uniquely designed you, amen? There's a blueprint. And one day God says, I'm going to bring Shantae Coles onto the earth. All right, where's the blueprint? Where's the master copy? Okay, she's going to be female. She's going to be about this tall. She's going to be a little bit crazy. She's going to be able to sing, though. She's crazy, but she can sing. We can put that gene in there. And, you know, and she got she's going to partner with the reefers and the CC and got the attributes for that. And boom, bring her forth from the earth with all the attributes she needs because she was wonderfully and fearfully made. Amen. See, God saw the substance even before the formation, even before the impregnation of the egg within her mother's womb. Amen. God saw all the things that he was going to design. He formed and fashioned them and envisioned them in the master blueprint. And then when the time came, brought it into manifestation. So we get a hold of all these things we don't have to walk around feeling rejected all the time because of this happening or that person saying this or the devil attacking me and doing all these things. One thing I forgot to mention earlier, when it talks about I am wonderfully, fearfully made and marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well, the word well means vehemently and passionately. So you need to know that you are wonderfully and fearfully made, not like, oh, I'm wonderfully and fearfully made. No, I am wonderfully fearfully made you need to be vehement about this thing you need to be aggressive about this thing and you need to be passionate about yourself being unique amen you are a precious commodity you are an asset to the planet earth amen hallelujah now just going a little bit further um it talks about the thoughts of god towards us and that also shows us how unique that we are in him and how precious we are in the sight of God. You might be worthless to mankind, but you are precious, amen, in the sight of God. There's nobody quite like you. There's nobody that he's designed and formed and fashioned. There's nobody that he's envisioned and thought about even before their birth more than you, amen. So people's thoughts towards you may be negative, but God, amen, it says more than the number of the grains of sand on the beach, amen, God has thought plans and purposes and goals for your life and he's envisioned something priceless for you and we can thank him for that now on the opposite side of the coin of this unfortunately rejection is is the is the enemy's greatest form of oppression you know it's not only a form of oppression but it's also a form of deception and destruction that is unleashed against mankind and contrary to us seeing things according to the mindset 
of God and say, I am wonderfully and fearfully made and I can be confident in the fact of having a divine purpose in God and all these things in front of me that he's called for me to do. Rejection speaks into your life, whether it's verbal, through experiences, traumas, actions, and, and different things. It speaks to you in such a manner that it oppresses you. It weighs you down. It discourages you. It deceives you in the sense that it teaches you that this is who I am, here's my limitations, and this is all I'll ever be. And then it also places wounds in your spirit that prevent you from healing so that you continue to live on your journey in God, seeing the word of God, knowing even the love of God to the best of your capabilities, but having limitations on that because of the things that have occurred to you in the past. Amen? So rejection... Is something that he uses as a key weapon to undermine and destroy the saints of God. If you look at it further, rejection destroys relationships, marriages, families. And in terms of the individual, a lot of times it prevents either the person from accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, which takes them from being a sinner into the road or the kingdom of God, or you could be a, a, a Christian and it hinders you from receiving your full potential in God because you live your salvation under the, the, the veil of all the lies and deceptions and the pain that you experienced in the past. Amen? So how can you truly get the fullness of what God has for you when you're living out your journey underneath the dome of the pain of rejection and, and harmful experiences and everything that you've already encountered. The only way you can truly be free is to be liberated from that. You need to break through the barrier. You need to use the power of God and allow the love of God to permeate your heart so that you liberate yourself from all the things that are holding you captive, amen, or keeping you restricted in your walk with God. Now, I had pretty much had everything in place, <laughs> and... um. This morning, I woke up and the Lord said, before we go further with rejection, you have to realize that there's a difference between rejection and reality. Amen? <laughs> so I don't have this on the PowerPoint, but there's a difference between rejection, where somebody has basically cast you off, pushed you away, denied you, belittled you, or something like that, and dealing with a situation where you don't want to be realistic about things. So he actually gave me a few passages of scripture. The first one is Exodus chapter twenty seventeen, where it says, Thou shalt not cover I'm sorry, covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not cover covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Now there's times where people say, I want that. Amen. I deserve that. And you don't get it. And somebody, sometimes people will treat that as a form of rejection, like, oh, well, I deserve this, amen? But the reality is that a lot of times these things are outside of God's will for your life or something that he's absolutely said no, and if we keep pursuing it and going after it, then it's not the case of being rejection, re being rejected. It's a case of not seeing the reality of that's not meant to be yours anyway. You know, Pam and I had a situation years ago where, we were dealing with somebody that was going through a lot of pain. She had um, problems with her son. And then as we kept talking to her, we learned that she was dealing with some other problems. And um, she was a divorcee. And um, 
at one point she told us to pray for her um, to reconcile with her husband. So we're about to pray and say, well, just give me, you know, a little information about the situation, how long you've been divorced, this or that. And she, she, in the midst of her, her telling us the story, she tells us that her husband is remarried. So when it gets to the point to pray, I was like, we can't pray for, we can't pray for that. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, I can't pray for you to gain something that's going to destroy a covenant <laughs> that he's made with his new wife. I can't pray for him to divorce to come back to you. Can't do that. And it doesn't matter that your first marriage may have been dysfunctional and you weren't saved or whatever, but the reality is right now he is married to somebody else, so I'm not going to pray for God to move so that he leaves her, divorces her, and comes back to you. Just not going to pray that. But she kind of had problems with that, but what are you going to do? So in that case, she was basically now, even though he was originally her husband, he was now somebody else's, so she was literally coveting another woman's husband so we couldn't pray that so you know to her it seemed like you're rejecting my request but the reality is that the request was not realistic in god amen maybe in the world system is is it's okay but according to god it was not an appropriate thing to pray and we would not pray it so um in that case we have to honestly examine ourselves and say hey is the thing that I'm praying for? Is the thing that I, I'm seeking? Is the thing that I feel rejected about something that I'm honestly looking for and pursuing? Or is it that my flesh, my emotions are making me go after something that is not to meant to be in my life anyway? And if that's the case, you just have to ask God to show you what is the motive behind me seeking this thing? Amen? Because I guarantee you, a lot of times, if we're seeking something that is not within God's will for our lives, a lot of times it's only going to come with pain down the road anyway. Amen? I mean, it really does. Um, another thing he gave me this morning, Second Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I've seen people get t- mad at times for when they go after something and they get rejected. A lot of times, especially in terms of career. Um, I pursued this and I didn't get it. And now I'm angry. I'm bitter because they rejected me. Well, one of the things the Lord showed me is that before you feel rejected or bitter or angry or rejected about something that you think should be yours or even qualify for the thing in the first place. Amen. You can't say, Lord, I want to be a Supreme Court justice. Hey, you didn't get through high school. How you going? <laughs> you need a law degree. You need a regular degree, a law degree. You need to practice for a while, get experience. <laughs> A caseload, <laughs> all these different things to be able to even handle the responsibilities associated with what you desire. So how can you feel rejected at the fact that you didn't get it? Amen? So some cases, before we feel funny about being denied something, we have to truly examine ourselves, say, hey, I'm e- am I even equipped for the thing that I'm so hungry for? Because I've seen situations where people get something, and then once they get it, they realize is more weight than I can handle. I wasn't ready for this. I saw the glamour of the position. I saw all the money. I saw all the fame. But I didn't see the weight that is associated with the p- position. Amen? Just look at presidents. Have you noticed a common thread of presidents? They go into the first term. They look vital and energetic. But especially they do two terms. By the time they come out, some of them are grayed. Some of them lost hair. 
you know, we see the public speech. I mean, even Obama, he's a pretty, you know, healthy young young man, but he didn't grade a little bit. Because you can come out there and you can shake the hands and kiss the babies and smile and politic all you want. But behind closed doors, terrorist attack over here, and this over there, and this scandal, and disapproval rating, and all that stuff on you all the time. That stuff starts to weigh you down. So even as the Word of God says, before you go after something, you need to consider the cost. Are you even ready for what that thing is? Amen? Because the very thing that you may think you're ready for could destroy you. Or you could trip yourself up. I remember years ago I had a friend that through, um, unfortunately, a medical procedure, they made a mistake and it, and it ended up killing his mother. And he got... Uh, I think this is like the 70s. From what I heard, I think he got like one and a half million, which nowadays isn't quite as much. But back then in the 70s, dude, you're loaded. And he got the money. So next you know, he buys not one, two sports cars. <laughs> brand new 300ZX from, from Nissan. Brand new, I think it was a Toyota Supra at the time. Two of them brand new. Like, why you need two? Why is it one good enough? Like, okay, well, I drive this one on dry days and this is on sunny days. Or I do this one Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and this one's Tuesday, Thursday. Why do you need two brand new cars? And, you know, I kind of saw when he did that. I was like, "Hmm, well, but I didn't want him to think, oh, you hating on me because I got money now. So I just like, leave it alone. Then next thing you know, we're going to to Philly one day. And he had been with his girlfriend for years. And she's kind of pressing for her engagement and stuff. So we went over to the store in Philly. He said, hey, I'm going to go get, you know, get her a ring, and um, can you go with me? So I was like, okay. So we go over to Jewelers Row, and we're going to different stores and looking at different engagement rings. And it's like, here's a nice one, sir. You know, 1000 1500 2000 No, 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 no. How about those over there? Like, is there a diamond in there? <laughs> you know, so tiny. And he, he kept that down, but then it's like, he buys this little incy beansy diamond ring, but then, because this is the time where everybody's getting the gold nugget chains, he goes over and literally drops four grand on a gold nugget chain for himself while he gets her this little microscopic. <laughs> and it just went on and on. He's buying DJ equipment. Then he's talking about buying a club, and then he's doing this and doing that. And then the next thing you know, I heard, like, you know, he ended up blowing all the money. So last thing I heard is just like he's driving, you know, a, a really old car and driving to like the upper limit of the New Jersey turn, Turnpike as a toll collector. After having like at that time a boatload of money that could have set him for life. So just because you get something doesn't mean you're necessarily ready to handle that. And as we're talking about the study, you know, the the subject of rejection, one of the things just the Lord said that we need to examine is if you've been rejected by um, in regard to something, was it something that you're really ready for now? It doesn't necessarily mean you'll never get it, but are you ready for it right now? Amen. So we need to handle sometimes rejection with reality. It ain't, it ain't such a personal thing that you got rejected because you're inadequate or you're nobody. No, you're rejected because this isn't your time. Amen? So we need to have a dose of reality mixed into why we're being rejected in, this, in a given situation. Uh, you can write it down for later. I'm not going to read it. But James 4, 13 through 15 just talks about when we're doing things, we need to seek the will of God first. Is this something that he even has for me in this time and season? Amen.
because sometimes we're out there in a journey and we think God's all in a mix of it. Or we think this is so perfect, I don't even have to pray about it. And the whole time God is like, why are you going down that road? That has absolutely nothing to do with me. And then when we go through trials and tribulations or failures, sometimes we want to get mad at God like, oh, you didn't take care of me in this situation. Or we even have times, sometimes it's not God, sometimes it's people. Why don't you support me in this? Because all of us can see that it wasn't the right thing to do. Amen? So sometimes we've got to balance that out as, as well and be honest with ourselves about rejection and why rejection has come our way. Amen? Sometimes rejection will even help you. Amen? I got rejected. I felt a form of rejection that angered me when I was in high school, and I really I was better than a lot of people on the basketball team, but I was a late bloomer because I didn't start playing until, like, eighth grade. And um, when I, by the time I got to 10th grade, I was 5, 11, but I, could, I was one of those people that they said could jump out of the gym. Like, I could be, like, one step from the basket, like, dunk it two-handed backwards. Like, and I was better than a lot of guys on the team. But because he had had his people that came up throughout the years, he literally told me, he said, look, you're good enough, you're better than a lot of people, but because the seniors need their playing time before they're done and then the juniors had to get ready for the following year, I'm going to have to cut you even though you're good enough. So I was frustrated and I was angered. And then a year later, I just kept, I kept playing in the time between. I kept playing and playing and playing, and I got a walk-on position on a college basketball team. Sometimes rejection is good for you. Michael Jordan, who a lot of people argue is the best player of all time, got cut from high school basketball. Sometimes rejection helps you. Amen? All right, so anyway, we're going to move on. The root of rejection. The root of rejection. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 19. Ephesians 4, I'm sorry, 3, 14 through 19. It says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Hallelujah. All right, it says here, and this is unique. I bow my knees to the, under the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That word family in the Greek is patria, or of paternal descent. Amen? So he's talking about people. And the thing is, the word patria not only means a paternal descent, meaning you're a child of the Father, but it also talks about a group of families or a whole race or nation. And the unique thing it says about this is that God is basically looking at mankind and he's saying that all of you in heaven and earth have been named by you. That word named is the process similar to the book of Genesis where all the animals came before Adam and he was named them. You're the bear, you're the lion, 
you're the bee, you're the ant, you're the grasshopper, you're the squirrel, all these different things. And with the name, there was a connotation that as associated with the, the creature, what its purpose or its attributes were. Amen? Hallelujah. So it was the same thing. God placed a name upon all those who are associated with mankind, which would include you and I, and he didn't just, like nowadays, give you all these ebonic names, but God was speaking to your life and say something that was associated with your purpose. That's why a lot of times we see in the Bible people's names meant something. Moshe or Moses, deliverer. Amen? Jacob, unfortunately, <laughs> met conniver, scoundrel, something like that, which is why his name got changed to Israel or one who's prevailed with God. My name, my parents named me Brian, which means it's, it's a Gaelic name, or sometimes they say Irish, but a lot of times they say Gaelic, amen, which is, it means strong, it means hill, it means determined. So a lot of people know me and say, hey, well, that, that fits, you know, that I'm strong-willed, I'm determined, and stuff like that. So a lot of times the name that you're given Relate it to your purpose or your makeup or what God had deemed and destined for your life. Amen? So God, your, your human parents may have named you something that may not have been all fancy and wonderful, but God, he's saying that the whole family in heaven and earth, I have named you. And why have I named you? I named you so I can grant you, according to the riches of my glory, to be strengthened with my, by my spirit in the inner man. So God spoke over your lives, and he had envisioned a purpose and a plan for you, a destiny that each one of us needs to fulfill. And then he not only says that, but he says, not only have I named you, but in Christ, I want you basically in your heart to be rooted and grounded in my love, and I also want you to be full of the knowledge of me so that you can grasp the glory of what I intended for your life. Amen? So God intended something. Unfortunately, the enemy has corrupted our minds, and he's made relationships so dysfunctional and ungodly that instead of us edifying, bonding together, and, and assisting each other, lifting each other up, supporting each other through trials and tribulations, now we've basically been reduced to animalistic behavior where we're undermining each other, throwing people under the bus, I'm trying to get ahead at your expense. All this nonsense is going on. And the result has been that in some cases that people are so wounded um, that, and this is the thing, whether or not it's intentional or unintentional, um, people have been so wounded or tainted that they unintentionally not only allow their own lives to be undermined, but then they have the same effect in the lives of other people. So basically, it's a cancer that spreads. God intended for all of us to bond together in love, build each other up, motivate each other, inspire each other to greatness, support each other when one doesn't have enough to get over the hump. And instead, we've been reduced to the exact opposite where we're tearing each other down all the time. Amen? It's unfortunate. And this is how the enemy has destroyed the structure of the family. He's destroyed... A lot of churches, uh, he's, he's destroyed the influence of the Christian on the, on the world today and basically incapacitated a lot of believers that should be living abundant lives of Jesus Christ but yet are walking far beneath that because of the things that have been hurled at them, amen, either directly from the enemy or the enemy using people to do stuff that will trip you up or harm you in your emotions or your heart. So it's a sad thing. 
And really, if you look at this, God's intent is that we would be one family bonded together in love and support. And if your vision of God and the kingdom of heaven is based upon how people have treated you, whether it's in the body of Christ or in your family, and these are the ones that you can see and that are tangible to you, how can you really envision the truth of God's full love and acceptance when what you've encountered on a daily basis comes so far below that? Amen? So there's a root of rejection that has basically been unleashed on people, saved and unsaved. Amen? I mean, so many people came out of rejection as children, still dealing with it as teenagers, still living it out as adults. And sometimes the pain and the things you've suffered from rejection can be decades in the past, and yet you still haven't gotten over it, and you're still living it out on your journey with God. Amen? Hallelujah. Shameful thing. Genesis 4 In Genesis 4, verses 1 through 8, it says, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thou countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. So we see here tragedy. I mean, the first murder, the first um, opportunity after sin to deal with the consequences of rejection. In this case, not from another person, but God saying, I reject what you tried to give me. But the thing is, it goes back to what I stated earlier about when rejection comes, is it because of something you did or is it just an unjust form of rejection that had no reason behind it other than to hurt you? In this case, God obviously wasn't trying to do anything to harm him. He's really trying to help him. And when you look at that word accepted, it's talking about an elevation from a leprous scab. <laughs> Elevation from a leprous scab. He's looking at him and saying, that sin you have in your heart that's making you withhold from me what I merit as your God and the one that you worship, if you allow the thing that's in you that enables you to, to do this selfish act to grow, it will fester as if you have leprosy and it will spread throughout all of you. It will just course through your being and it will take hold of you. So God, even though it seemed that he was doing something harmful from Cain's perspective, oh, you're rejecting me, you're denying me, you're hurting my feelings and making me angry. God was actually looking at him and saying, I see what's in you. And yes, I could just take your sacrifice and call it even. But he said, no, I see that what you do now 
will only escalate and grow. So I'm going to nip it in the bud and tell you, no, I don't accept that. However, God didn't just reject him and say, get that mess out of here. God said, I'm not going to accept that. But he says, hey, why are you looking all sad? Shoulders droop, looking all hurt, disgruntled, and pitiful. He said, look, if you do what's right in my sight, you'll be accepted. And what he's basically telling him is, I will remove not the physical but the scabs that are within your heart and your mind. And then the word accepted also means I will make you cheerful and I will exalt you by elevating you in rank, character, as well as dignity. So he said, I see the message in you. I see the flaws. I see the things that will cause you problems both now and in the future. But I'm trying to cut it off the past. And not only will I cut it off, but if you repent, I will elevate you up from where you are right now. You'll no longer have to feel that way. You'll no longer be selfish. You'll no longer refuse to worship and do the right thing. I'll actually give you a character change in your heart so that you're basically elevated up above the level where you are right now spiritually. Unfortunately for him, he didn't do that. And the thing is, God, like I said, tried to warn him. He said, sin is basically waiting to pounce pounce on you. And he said, if you give it room, that sin will rule you. That day when he did not give that, that sacrifice like he should have, if God had told him straight out, you're going to kill your brother, he'd be like, oh, no way. There's no way I could kill my brother. I couldn't do that. Amen? No way. I could never do that. And that's the thing. A lot of times we fool ourselves and we're not truthful to the reality of what we can do or become or what our capabilities are. Amen? I had a situation recently where somebody approached me about something and I was praying the one day and the Lord told me to, to say something to this person. And I told the person, I said, I'm, I'm telling you this and I broke it down and I said, the, the Lord, I prayed that the Lord would move in this situation and he did exactly how I prayed. And I said, but you need to be aware of one thing. I said, the Lord is moving according to your desire, but it's not so much that you get what you want. It's because the Lord said that if he did not allow it, you would go from, from where you feel right now to, to, to pure hatred for the person on the other end of that request. And the person told, oh, no, no, no. I said, no, you, would have, you, would, you, don't, you don't even know yourself. You would be full of hatred if God did not honor your prayer. Your prayer. Not your actions, not your material. God didn't answer your prayer. You would have turned. You don't think it's capable in your heart, but you would have turned into somebody full of hatred. So people think they know themselves, but God knows the hearts, even when people don't necessarily know their hearts. Amen. And I, I knew I heard the Lord right, and I was like, I'm not backing off on what I'm telling you. <laughs> so I pray for you. You got what you wanted, but let me tell you something. <laughs> you need to watch yourself. <laughs> So, contrary to our text scripture about us esteem, being esteemed in God, you know, rejection, the way it works is often the act of throwing away, discarding, belittling, or deeming something as insignificant. Amen? When you feel rejected, that's pretty much how you feel. I'm belittled. I'm not important. They rejected me. They're throwing me away as if I'm nothing. I don't matter to them. I'm not significant. You know, sometimes you have to realize, though, it's not so much that people are rejecting you as, as 
it's some a situation in which something needs to be corrected. Hallelujah. And we have to watch. It's a crucial thing. How do you handle rejection when it comes? In the case of Cain, instead of repenting and getting himself right before God, which actually led to elevation, he chose to go down the path of anger, bitterness, rejection, and eventually it opened the door to hatred and led to him killing his own brother. Amen? So we have to be watchful how we handle it. And as we see, what we allow to happen in terms of rejection can not only take hold of us and start to change our, us into things that we think we could never be, amen, but it can also have grave consequences in the lives of other people, and it can spread into their lives. You may not necessarily kill somebody, but you might hurt a lot of people, amen. Rejected people hurt other people, and it spreads like a cancer. It goes from generation to generation. It goes from group to group. You'll see all kinds of situations of alcoholism and drug abuse and incest and just all kinds of stuff, neglect, and you, you follow the pattern, you see, oh, it was in the great-grandparent and the grandparent and the parent. Oh, well, skip one there, but wait a minute, it didn't really skip because it was in the uncle here instead of that person there. And you can see the trail that's blazed by these different things. And a lot of it comes from traumas and rejections and different acts that happen. And see, somebody may not necessarily, just getting this, you might not necessarily have an act where you discard it where rejection comes in. Somebody might actually bring you in closer, but they reject you in how they treat you. Amen? So uh, I just got, it's not always that you reject it, like you're cast aside and I won't be with you. No, some people will bring you in close and reject you firsthand. I had stuff spoken over my life directly in front of me, two people in front of me, at me, and stuff like that. It might have been better for them to push me aside than to go with the rejection I dealt with firsthand. Amen? So it's not always a distance thing. Sometimes it could be in close quarters that the rejection is suffered. And sometimes, too, it's not necessarily an intentional thing that is directly spoken. Sometimes people may not even know, like, the way they're wired or what they're going through, that they're giving off different things or they're speaking things that are forming rejection in your life. Amen? So the good thing about Jesus Christ is that he can get to the root. He can show us where it emanates from, and he can show us how to overcome it. God did not call for any of us, amen, to walk a life of rejection. So, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Every act from the, the throne room of God has been about giving, if you think about it. God was on his throne, you know, before there was time, amen? And he was so full of love that he said, I want to output my love into something. I'm going to make myself a man. And I'm going to make myself a plant to put that man on. So everything coming out of him was full of an expression of love. It was the devil that came in and formed rejection. Amen? Hallelujah. So we had to get ourselves back to the essential, um, the, the eternal plan of God, that he's a loving God. We can't see him according to perceptions of what we've experienced. A lot of us have had situations with fathers who were there or who were, who were not there. Amen? And that's the picture we got of our eternal Father. But the eternal Father we serve only gives out love. Amen? And he's looking for willing recipients, not ones who receive him like this, or, but ones that are fully open up, amen, to receive the fullness of his love without any kind of mental barriers or heart barriers or spiritual barriers. See, as long as you're holding on to the hurt 
of what people have done, you'll never fully experience the true love of God. Because, see, earthly love that's associated with pain, you want to believe, you want to trust, but you always hold back a little bit because I've got to protect myself just in case they stab me in the back or they say that thing again that pushes my button or I expect them to be there for me or do this for me and they're nowhere to be found. See, if you do it according to the earthly basis, um, you're always going to have some part of you that holds back because it's self-preservation to avoid the pain of what you previously experienced. So we have to retrain ourselves and say, hey, I can't look at you, God, according to how I've dealt with people in my life. I have to just trust you enough to say, I'm opening myself up wholly and completely. Do what you want with me. Amen. Give me your full love and give me the strength to accept it. <laughs> Lavas don't even know how to accept it. That's the, that's the thing. We don't even know how to accept it because we're so used to the junk and mess and hurt that the people we trusted inflicted upon us as we try to get love. And that's the thing. Love here is just a temporal thing. It's a biological thing. It's an emotional thing. With God, it's just a consistent, ever-flowing fountain of his person into our lives. Amen? His person, his touch, his thoughts, continuously flowing. And see, unlike people who are fickle, up and down one day, in and out of your lives, one day they love you, the next they throw you under the bus, God is a steady stream with the same power all the time. Your sin cannot make his love come down a notch. Amen? Your shames, your defeats, your mess-ups, your, your intentional sins, where you know you ain't right and you do it anyway, cannot change God's st- stable love into your life. It's an ever-flowing fountain, as they say. Amen? Hallelujah. And you cannot change it. That doesn't mean he won't deal with you, but you cannot change God's consistency and fervency of love for you. All right, so um, rejection, like I said, it tries to root itself deeply into the mind, the heart, and the spirit of someone. And it's like a black hole. Once you get caught in the grasp of it, it keeps pulling on you, it keeps pulling on you. And the reason I call it a black hole is that you know, according to science, nothing, even light, can escape a black hole. And you find it's almost like the same with rejection. Once you get those initial forms of rejections, you know, it gets harder and harder as you pull in more rejection to let the new ones come. And you'll find that sometimes the little things that didn't bother you, they start to stay with you. Why? Because they start to get caught into your gravitational pull. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they said that. Then you go in the next relationship. Somebody does something, and they don't only know. They're new in your life. <laughs> you met them two months ago, and they have no idea what your experiences are, what's happened to you, the traumas you experience and stuff. And they can say something that has absolutely nothing to do with the situation that you faced or the pain you dealt with, but because it sounds like something that, that somebody did or said. Or it reminds you of something that happened to you before. Next thing you know, an offense is coming in again and you feel rejected. And it just builds up and it starts piling up. And you find that your triggers and your emotions get a little, little quicker to fester wounds or cause you to simmer or get you agitated. Amen? Because it's undealt with 
rejection. Amen? Hallelujah. And with it, the rejection, it, it doesn't just pull on itself. Rejection doesn't just pull on rejection, in other words. Rejection will pull on anger, bitterness. We see with Cain, it, it started out with rejection. It pulled in jealousy, <laughs> anger, frustration. It pulls on other things that are like itself. They all fall into the category of sin. It'll pull other things in until you get overwhelmed. And then as we see in the case of Cain, he got to the point where, like I said, he went from rejection and hurt to anger to jealousy. Why is he approving? Why am I not? Next you know, he's got this murder spirit of rage, and he takes a rock to his brother's head. In other words, he blew up. We don't know without a shadow of doubt that he just... I'm going to kill him one day, and, and he hunts him down, looks for the right scenario, and then he kills him. We don't know that this was calculated. It could have been his brother. Him and his brother might have been fishing one day. His brother might have said the wrong thing. <clears throat> I had it. Bam. Let him have it. So sometimes these things can build up. And we've got to realize that if they're left unchecked, if they're not presented to God, they can eat away at the core of your being. They can control your perceptions. You can walk around with darkened glasses over your eyes, amen, that are coated <laughs> with traces of rejection, and it affects how you see other situations and other opportunities. Like I said, it eats away at you. You know, it affects your health. It affects your mind. I mean, medical science will tell you that holding on to stuff has an impact on you medically, amen? Holy blood pressure heart palpitations, migraines, arthritis, different things as a result of holding on to stuff. And that's why God says, I want you to let this stuff go. Amen. We saw here, will you not be accepted? He was telling Cain, I see leprosy forming. I'm trying to catch it while it's a few cells. And sin is lying at your door and will have rule over you if you don't stop it right now. God tried to warn him. He refused to accept it. But we, amen, using the story and seeing the pattern of what can occur, we have the precious opportunity that if there's somebody that has wounded us through rejection, amen, hallelujah, we can let it go. You know, because you're freeing yourself more than you even can free that person that has done you wrong. Wounds of rejection. Whether... They are passive or aggressive, real or imagined. Rejection prevents believers from experiencing the vitality and quality of life that God intended for them because of the visible and hidden scars that it leaves in, in individuals. Amen? I'll read that again. Whether it's passive or aggressive, real or imagined, rejection prevents believers from experiencing the vitality and quality of life that God intended for them because of the visible and hidden scars that it leaves in individuals. Invisible and hidden scars. Visible ones are the ones like, okay, that person got a chip on their shoulder. They got a short fuse. That's the visible stuff. We ever deal with somebody that they just so quiet, so quiet. And they, oh, all of us go back and forth and we debate and they just sit there quiet. And all of a sudden they blow up more than y'all. Because they festering. And that volcano is just ready to erupt one day. 
Amen. So just because they're quiet doesn't mean that they don't suffer rejection or have stuff that they're dealing with. It just means that there's hidden stuff underneath the surface, scars and things that are simmering, waiting to come out. And the devil's looking to target that stuff and then make it explode into the lives of others. You know, as I was praying about this, God has shown me there are countless people from all backgrounds, religious backgrounds, positions of prominence, socioeconomic upbringings who are misbehaving as a result of unaddressed wounds. Some of them are, are dealing with issues that are even buried in their subconscious mind or they're dealing with pain that they are attempting to numb themselves from. And I know that. I was the king of that. I had so much frustration and, and, and hurt that eventually I got tired of being hurt and I allowed my hurt to turn to numbness. It's like I don't feel anything. You can say whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. I feel nothing. That's a dangerous thing. Because I went from that to, I got to the point like, okay, I'm a kid now. When I get old enough, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I dreamed of that for years. I was like, I'm, when I'm old enough, I'm going to kill you. And I was serious about that. You know, allowing yourself to go numb. That's why sometimes you'll see in the news, oh, they had a situation, um, oh, what was it? Oh, I know what it was. I can't remember the name of the show. But it was like one of those shows. It wasn't snapped. But um, it was a, a college professor. She came from Harvard. This is a true story. I can't remember her name. But um, she came out of Harvard. She had a doctorate in physics or something like that, a master ma- mathematics or double doctorates. And she was going all the place trying to get jobs at Harvard and Yale and all the, you know, the prestigious universities, Stanford and Princeton and nobody <laughs> would give her a job. So finally, um, she gets this job at a, a lower level college and she's there for years and she's teaching. But um, she finally, she starts off okay, but once she gets there and she's there for over a year or so, she starts showing her true colors and it's just like, you know, um, well, you guys got your degrees from here and there. I'm from Harvard, you know. And they'd go into meetings, and she would remind people, I'm Dr. So-and-so from Harvard, you know. And at the while, she started making, you know, enemies and getting on people's nerves and just running her mouth too much. And she had conflicts with students and it just caused a lot of problems. So finally, um, they got to a point where she, it was enough years where she should have got tenure at the school and been locked in. And she got hints that it wasn't going to occur. So she started trying to work the things behind the, you know, behind closed doors and behind the scenes and talk to professors or give me a recommendation and do this or that. And some of the people told her straight out, no. And then some of them were like, yeah, 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 don't worry about it. And then they'd go back behind the back. So um, needless to say, they finally came to her and they said, they said, no, you're not getting tenure. And she's just like, do you know who I am and where I got my doctorate from? This little rinky-dink school, I'm from Harvard. <laughs> and they're like, not going to happen. Then she started doing a campaign with all her students, trying to get them to write letters and stuff, and a lot of them didn't do it. So finally, they had this meeting this one day, and she already knew, like, you're not getting tenure, we're not changing your mind, you're finishing out the school year, that's it. So they had this meeting, I guess, going into the summer months, ending the school year and preparing for the next year. And they're like, wonder why she's showing up at this meeting. She knows she's not coming back. She's in her meeting all of a sudden, pulls out a nine, bam, bam, bam. 
shoots the room up. How dare you reject me? And here's the thing. She had a, a husband who was professional, like high-end job, like an engineer or a professor as well. And um, she shot up that room, called her husband. Oh, could you, could, could you um, pick me up by the loading dock, you know, at the school? And her husband's like, the loading dock? Why would I pick you up there? I usually pick you up at your office or out front. She's like, pick, could you pick me up at the loading dock? So as he's driving up to the loading dock, like the <laughs> cops, like the loaded, you know, full body armor are strapping her down with handcuffs. And he's like, what's going on? It's like she shot up the school. And then they show, photo- you know, camera crew filming her. She's getting in the police car. She's like, what are you talking about? I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. What are you talking about? She totally blanked out. Shot that room up. <laughs> Rejection, I'm telling you. And rejection that goes into being numb, that's just one story of people snapping and, like, they come out of it and, like, there's a dead body there. Like, how'd that happen? You did it. Not handling rejection. Amen? So for believers, you know, a lot of times we, we learn from the Word of God to avoid conflict as much as possible with live peaceably with all men. But there's times to be peaceful. There's times to be quiet. There's times to just shut up because you can't talk right now. But God still talks about if you have offenses against a brother, you know, go work it out. If need be, take it before the church. God does not want us just festering and simmering and getting ourselves to the place where we either go numb, like I said, which could be very dangerous, or we just blow up off the handle, you know, every once in a while at people. God wants us to have balance, and when we're dealing with stuff, take it to him if nobody else. You know, I've had people that have hurt me to the core of my heart, and I had to go work that thing out with God. Because I was like, Lord, if you don't deal with me, I'm going to hate that person, or I'm going to get that person. And I was always the person unsafe. I always had a policy. I don't get even. I get more than even. So you did something. A lot of times I was going to do something in the same family of what you did to me, but I was going to do it at another level, and I was going to let you know, I got you. That's how I was. I was just looking right in the eye. Got you. I could be standing right over the corner. Mm -hmm. That's what's happened to you right now. Just let you know. It's got my signature on it. I got you. Oh, you want to go again? That, I'm just playing right now. You don't want me to get. That's how I was. I was like, I will not just. I will not get you back. I will get more than even. I will step it up. So that's why I knew, like, with me, especially after being saved, knowing like things that are in your wire and stuff like that, and in your members, like even if I couldn't go to the person because of position and title or they weren't around, I would go to God because I was like. You need to work this all out of me so that it's totally gone. I don't want it in me. Because so I had a situation where somebody really hurt me deeply to my core. And I didn't, I got, I wasn't even, I actually dealt with somebody I trusted and and talked to him about it. And he said, well, what are you doing? You know, because I was doing all the right things biblically. But it was something so bad that it's just like, you know what? I want accountability into this. So I actually went to somebody I knew that wasn't going to be talking all behind the back. Was going to be causing no troubles. Was a person of integrity. And I said, I want to come unto you for this situation to make sure 
I'm seeing everything clearly. I said, I'm trying to do everything for the word and prayer and stuff like that, but I want to come under somebody else's counsel with this to make sure I'm doing anything I'm supposed to be doing. So we talked about it several times, and he said, what did you do? And I would tell him this and that. He says, well, it sounds like everything's fine. So years later, I run into this person. The person takes me aside and apologizes, but I could tell that the Lord had done all the work because when the person apologized, I didn't need it. The person needed it was the person giving me the apology. That person needed it. So I was just like, look, I ain't even worried about it. I just gave the person a hug and said, look, done deal. Don't even worry about it. But God had done the work in me. Amen. See, we got to know ourselves. And I knew I had a history of retaliation or I have a history of going numb, which is even worse because I was one of those people, like you see on them shows, be numb. And I literally had times where somebody would get to me and push the button, push the button, push the button. And all of a sudden, I'll get real quiet. I was like, don't let me get real quiet. As long as I'm talking, we might be cool. If I start getting real quiet, uh-oh. Because a lot of times, I'll get quiet. Then all of a sudden, I feel my hand starting to close by itself. Come back to slug somebody. So I was just like, don't let me get quiet. As long as I keep running that mouth, <laughs> I'm, I'm letting it out. <laughs> if I get totally quiet, uh-oh. <laughs> Y'all better start praying. <laughs> So that shows that we got to know ourselves. Amen? Especially if you've been feeling numb or you feel rejection, it's important that you permit God to openly examine your heart and that you release it and permit him to heal you. Um, Luke six forty three through 45 says, For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. So you do a lot of speaking. Amen. Sometimes it might be out of your mouth. A lot of times it's speech that's coming in other forms. Your body language, your behavior, and sometimes you may even speak, but you're saying one thing, but everything else about you is communicating that you're actually saying something else. Amen? So basically we have to look at ourselves and, and, and how we're handling the wounds of rejection. You know, once again, is it something that we're currently dealing with? Is it something that came up from years ago that's still on us? Amen? Hallelujah. There's so many different ways that things have happened. Um, people deal with issues within their family. People deal with issues of being in school, and you were like, you know, the outcast kid at school, and now you're an adult, and you still feel like an outcast. Um, do you have stuff in terms of your relationships, organizations? This is all kinds of stuff getting hurled our way. Amen. It's, there's there's racial stuff um, that gets hurled your way or different cultures. That's why I hate to see how people ha are treating Mexicans now. I try to really um, go the extra mile to be cordial to them when I interact with them in stores and stuff like that because I, I just can't stand the way sometimes I pe see people with this condescending attitude or they got this little sneer as they look at them or interact with them or you see the little comments and stuff like that. I was like, you know what, because the same people doing that, you're the same one calling us you-know-what with the end, you know, a few years ago. They just the new 
kids on the block. And if you got the attitude, you could look at them that way. Before they came here, it was all this immigration issues. You were looking at me that way. So I don't find it cute. Amen. Hallelujah. And it's all something that's contrary to God's will for our lives. Now, rejection, the wounds, amen, like I said, they bury themselves deep. But we have a, the, the choice of how we handle it. If we go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17, it says, Wherefore, the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. So it says, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. You know, you may not literally exhibit that body language or that behavior, but isn't that what rejection does to you? You feel like your, your, your arms, your shoulders are a little drooped. You might be standing like this, but inside you feel like, well, I feel discouraged. I feel my head hanging down. But what does God say here? He says, don't stay like that. Lift up the hands that are hanging down. You know, people may have hurt you. You feel like drooping. But you know what? Going back to our church scripture, y'all might have made me feel like this, but God makes me feel like this. I am wonderfully and fearfully made, despite those people that made me want to go like this. Amen. I can look up to the hills from which cometh my help. I can look up and I can praise God because I am wonderfully and fearfully made. And the thing that I really like about this too, it says, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. And that sounds a little bit odd, but what it reminds me of is um, I actually had somebody we know that broke her leg last week. Amen. And they had to do surgery and put screws in to straighten out the leg and stabilize it. And that really reminds me of us, you know, how we handle things spiritually. When something breaks us, physically, spiritually, emotionally, do you keep yourself crippled? Do you get treatment? What do you do with it? Because a person who breaks a bone and doesn't get it straightened out, they end up with a limp for the rest of their life, or they might actually lose the use of that leg. In her case, they put a steel rod in and then screws to straighten it out, stabilize it, and now they are rehabbing her so that if everything goes well, once she's totally healed, she'll be able to walk as normal as she did before. If that rod's inserted wrong, if those screws don't hold, if that thing tilts in her leg, she might, or she could be dragging that leg. But if they did everything perfectly... She should be healed. You know, I've seen situations where people um, dislocated something and they didn't get it straightened out. And now, oh, my elbow doesn't go all the way. You know, I can only extend my elbow that far. You know, I popped my elbow out of the joint. I didn't get them to pop it back in. And now I can only move it so far. And, you know, sometimes you can say after the fact, well, now I know better. I'll go and do it. But a lot of times, if you don't allow yourself to heal right the first time, 
where they popped it right then, and it might be painful, but at least they pop it right then, it's in the right position, and now it can heal the whole way. A lot of times, if you don't allow yourself to get healed properly, you build up all this scar tissue and stuff. So if they have to repair it, now they got to break it or do surgery, and it makes the matter worse. Amen? So it's better for us in the situation where we feel feeble of knees or we feel like our arms are hanging down, let the great physician heal you right away, even if he has to pop something <laughs> back in the joint. I mean, we don't like pain, but sometimes pain is necessary to get you healed. Amen. I had surgery. I didn't want no, any surgery. And some of the stuff I experienced afterwards wasn't the greatest. But I thank God that they basically said, you had the surgery now, and you're totally healed, and you could have 30, 40, 50 more years of life. So the pain I suffered then is worth it now if it meant that cancer is not going to spread through my body and take me out of here early. Amen. Same way this lady. I'm sure she didn't, she didn't want to break her leg, and I know without a shadow of doubt she did not want surgery. But if surgery was necessary to get the correct healing in its proper time, in the end, it's going to be a lot better than if she never got the procedure. So we should be thinking things the same way. You may not want to go through God's process for being healed. You may not want to go through surgery to get healed. But that's what God needs to do to get you whole and to get you straight and to keep you from walking with a limp spiritually for the rest of your life, or being totally incapacitated, then it's all for your good in the end. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So God does not want us to be crippled for the rest of our days. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to stop with that. We're going to continue on because I want to cover a lot more things, and we're going to go into some more specifics as it relates to um, rejection. So next week we're going to start with... Um, some manifestations of rejection. And we're going to look at different types. The Lord gave me different categories of rejection too. Because there's all different forms. And all of us might not necessarily deal with the same forms of rejection. Some of us may get it because of our, our, our racial background. Some our religious background. Others our socioeconomic background. Some because of our body type. I mean, some with our hair. <laughs> you know, they had the documentary. Was it Chris? Um, uh, what's his name? Chris Rock. The, the good hair thing. I mean, that's <laughs> a form of, of rejection. Oh, you don't have the right hair. Well, now you can buy it, but you know, <laughs> that's another thing. But there's all these different forms of rejection that we, we deal with on a daily basis. And it's all unique to us what bothers us. Amen. So the Lord showed me some different forms that we can address in the coming probably weeks. But, um, you know, at least next week. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Lord, for just placing on my heart to deal with um, healing from rejection. And, Father, it's something that uh, probably everybody in this room has experienced. I know I have dealt with it, Lord. Um, rejection from family members, rejection uh, in the school systems, rejections at work, rejections because of how we're made, rejection because of our interests. There's just all different forms of rejection, Father, and we all handle it different ways. But we ask you, Father, that if any of us are still uh, being overwhelmed by it or 
if any of us are dealing with um, situations from time to time where it rears its ugly head, it triggers hot buttons, or it makes us feel anxious, it makes us angry or, or upset, or makes us fearful, Father, we ask you to bring back to your remembrance, our remembrance your word, and Lord, reveal to us, Father, the source of these things that we could cut it out, hallelujah, cut out that cancerous thought, Father, that is hindering us, that we can see things according to you in spirit and truth. And we praise you, Father, even if we've gone through traumatic acts in the past, Father. If we've been physically, verbally, emotionally abused, Father, we praise and thank you, Father, that you will heal us right now in the name of Jesus, Lord. Father, let us also walk in forgiveness, Father, for those who may have done things against us, Father. Some of them did it knowingly. Some of them did it unknowingly. And some of them, Father, were actually victims of those abuses, Father, that in the generations did it to us as it was done to them. So we just praise you, Father, that regardless of how it occurred or why it occurred, Father, it was not within your plan for mankind. We thank and praise you, Father, that your purpose and plan for, was for us to live fruitfully, Father. We thank you, Father, that right now you would touch us, Father, and take away all the pain, all the anguish, all the fear, all the wounds that are associated with the things that occur as it relates to rejection. We also thank you, Father, if there's anything that has taken hold of us as a result of rejection, bitterness, anger, um, health problems, um, anger, Father, hatred, that you would purge us of that as well. And we thank and praise you, Father, for this. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise, Father, that even as we would uh, remain on this subject, Father, that over the coming weeks, if anything comes to our minds, Father, that we need to pray in terms of releasing those who have offended us or, Father, if it's even somebody we need to pray for that we've offended or hurt, we praise and thank you, Father, that, hallelujah, you would touch the lives of those that we would pray for, that you would bring them peace, and, Father, also you would cure us and heal us from every thought, every source of pain in our hearts and in our spirits in the name of Jesus. And we thank and praise you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.